0: Revitalizing our youth ministry at FC Cubed, um, something that had once been very strong um, and, and kind of died down in the past. And so uh, we have our youth pastor Ken at West Pogue here. We'll have a town hall meeting right after service uh, for those of you who are interested uh, to get to know him a little bit and then to ask him any questions that you have. Uh, we're very excited about um, West coming on. and. Uh, helping us fulfill our, our mission to, uh, to be people who make disciples, who make disciples. So we're in Philippians 3 this morning. We'll uh, keep rocking and rolling in our series called Resurrection Matters. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's kind of this cultural obsession. Uh, maybe last five, ten 5, 10 years or so if you really watch for it. Um, but zombies are hot right now, okay? I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big kind of cottage market that's kind of grown up around this. So um, real popular TV shows, movies, um, and you might be surprised by this, but actually in academia, there's a big thing with zombies right now. You would be astonished if you go on to like a journal database, how many PhD dissertations are being written about zombies in philosophy, anthropology, sociology, theology. I mean, it has blown up. And it's even affected the churches. Okay. So just a quick Google search. We'll find you some churches. They've done some zombie sermon series, okay? There's one here in Katy, not too far from us. You got a lot of press for doing their zombie sermon series. You are welcome, okay? (laughs) I have (laughs) not done that. um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes But I saw some good ideas There's one There's one real popular show Called The Walking Dead Okay I don't know If you're familiar with it I happen to be a fan of it And it's caused me To go into kind of This crisis of faith Real recently It uh, usually comes on On a Sunday night And I don't know If you were aware of this But there was this big um, Also show that kind of Came up real recently Called The Bible Which is on Sunday night At the exact same time And so each Sunday night I had this crisis moment Do I watch the zombie show Do I watch the Bible? (laughs) Lord, I'm a sinner. (laughs) Please forgive me. I failed the test every time. They both, the both seasons ended on Easter. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't resist the temptation. I figured I'm a pastor. I read the Bible a lot, okay? I don't know if you've seen this on the, the Bible TV show. Anyone watch it? Anyone watch it all the way through? surprisingly low amount of people. I would have expected a whole lot more. Okay. Y'all were watching The Zombies with me. I feel better. Uh, they, uh, they made a book. I don't know if you saw this. They made a book based on the Bible TV show. It's called God and the Story of All of Us, based on the epic TV show The Bible. Don't want to put an asterisk in, also based on a book called The Bible, okay? Okay. Um, but you have this, this real kind of popular, popular explosion, this kind of culture obsession with, with zombies. Now, here's the thing. I've had for years kind of a running inside joke with some friends of mine that this kind of obsession with zombies and this kind of these zombie stories, narratives, are actually the kind of running jokes. And they're actually closer to biblical theology than some of pop contemporary Christianity. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, what I mean by this. I'll kind of flesh this out as we go throughout the, the day here. Um, But zombies, uh, okay, people who come back from the dead, right? They were dead, now they're alive again. Well, if you read through the scriptures, I mean, if you were to walk kind of just first page to last page, you'd find a whole lot of stuff about dead people coming back to life. I mean a lot of stuff about dead people, like bodies coming out of the ground, out of tombs, and coming back to life. It was a big part of Jesus' ministry, He'd raise people from the dead. It was a part of the apostles, the early apostles' ministry. They'd raise people from the dead. And I don't know if you were aware of this, but in Matthew's version of the Good Friday story, in Matthew 27, when Jesus dies, okay, he's hanging on the cross. When he dies, remember the veil is torn? Mm-hmm. Most of us are probably familiar with that detail. But are you also familiar? Um, when that happens on Good Friday, a whole bunch of dead people come back to life in Jerusalem goes the story in Matthew and they walk around Jerusalem alive again I mean it's kind of this it seems kind of weird sci-fi to us you're there's the Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter right where you take vampires you own a history I can't believe no one's done zombie Rome okay Jerusalem first century (laughs) That's right there. That's low-hanging fruit, okay? Um, from Good Friday. There are these Friday resurrections. There's a whole lot in the Bible that makes it seem like what God's interested in doing in the world has to do something with dead people, like actual dead people, coming back to life, like actually coming back to life. And I think we may have kind of missed that. Now, there's big differences, okay, between zombies and between what the Bible will talk about with the resurrection, <laughs> resurrection from the dead. For instance, zombies are bad characters, right? They come back, they don't have souls. They come back to attack and to destroy. Whereas in in the Christian, the biblical story, resurrection is always joyous. It's a victory. You come back to more life, to fuller life, to a victorious kind of life. So what does zombies have to do with anything, okay? Well, we're in a series called Resurrection Matters. We've been walking through this for the last few weeks, um, and we're trying to explore all the different ways that Jesus' resurrection matters for our lives. Because what we've noticed is that the contemporary church has kind of pushed the resurrection off to the side, and we've majored on the cross. So in fact, if you really paid attention, you could probably listen to gospel presentations where all you heard about was that Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the cross for you. And no one even mentions that he rose again from the dead. As if you could, you know, be a Christian, this, this was all possible without a resurrection. We've kind of shifted it off, and, and we've been exploring why and how and what that causes when you, when you lose sight and focus on the resurrection of Jesus, and then you, you focus on the cross. I mean, even if we had to be honest, a lot of Easter Sunday sermons were probably about the cross just a few weeks ago. We've, we've really majored on the cross, and we've kind of lost the focus on the resurrection. So we're just exploring, we're just teasing out a few ways that Jesus' resurrection, when he rises from the dead, that that matters for you and I. So here's what we'll do this morning. Here's the, the exploration we'll, we'll go on this morning. I'm going to argue, and we're going to look at the scriptures, that Jesus' resurrection matters. One of the reasons it matters is because what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday is what's going to happen to his people, you and I, when he returns. So we're saying again, what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday When he was dead in the ground, came out of the ground, was alive again. According to the scriptures, is what's going to happen to his people, to you and I, when he returns at his second coming. In a sense, when you see Jesus rise from the dead on Easter Sunday, you're seeing your future. It's like a a preview of coming attractions. (laughs) Easter Sunday is not just about Jesus' body, it's about our bodies. Easter Sunday is our fate. It's our destiny. So let's walk through this, okay? Philippians 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. The resurrection matters. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. This is Paul talking, very, very uh, interesting passage, very important passage. 317, he says this, "'Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ.'" their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, now, most Christians and most kind of pop Contemporary Christianity operates with this understanding of what the gospel is about and what our afterlife and our future will be like. Okay? You will die one day, and when you die, your soul will escape from your body, will be rid of your body, and you will either go one of two places. Pop quiz, heaven or hell. Okay? And, and kind of the goal of religion, the goal of Christianity is to do whatever you need to do right, to make sure that you go to the right place. But it's kind of this disembodied spirit, okay? It's kind of this, our soul, without our body, without the earth, we go be with heaven. This is where you get these kind of caricatures of our, us, you know, sitting on clouds, playing harps, okay, with God. Um, and this is, has become very, very popular. I mean, this is how I think most Christians would understand what is going to happen to them after they die. Well, my soul will go be with the Lord. I'll go be with God in heaven, that's what's going to happen to me. It's, it's kind of gone into popular teaching, sermons, even really classic hymns. So are you familiar with the hymn, I'll Fly Away? Yes. I'm not going to sing it, okay? This is the second thing you can thank me for this morning. <laughs> but I do have the lyrics here. Um, some bad morning, I'm going to need some participation, okay? Some bad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll, huh? fly, I'll, fly, away. I'll fly away. Okay, to a home on God's celestial shore, Everybody, I'll fly away, fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, Hallelujah. by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown I'll fly, away. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by. Now, this just feels like church now, right? <laughs> There's some amens in here, okay? It just feels like gospel, okay? I'll fly away, I'll fly away. But again, watch kind of what's happening here. And this kind of, again, maybe the argument this morning that maybe, maybe dead people come out from the grave is more of a biblical understanding of our hope than flying away, than our souls. Did you hear that terminology? This life is a shadow, It wasn't real. It was a shadow. And our souls are going to break free of the prison, like a bird flying through the prison bars, going to God's home, going to heaven. This world is not our home. We're on our way to heaven. Salvation is about us escaping from the earth, and our our eternal destiny is our souls disembodied in heaven. Now, at first glance, this seems to be what Philippians is confirming, okay, here in chapter 3. Doesn't he say, our citizenship is in heaven, That's our home. That's where we belong. We read this passage, we go, of course, and when I die, by and by, I'll go to heaven. I've got a green card, right? But I'm on my way back. I've got citizenship in heaven, but I'm on my way back. Now, um, a closer reading of the passage might tease out some further meaning here that might be more in line with the biblical narrative, okay? So, Philippi. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippi is what we call a Roman colony, you know what colony is, how a colony works, okay? Rome, historically, first century, was way overpopulated. They could not feed everybody that was there. They could not clothe everybody that was there. It was just a mess. And they had this huge army. And when army uh, uh, soldiers retired, okay, they had all these veterans in their city with a whole bunch of muscle and a whole bunch of opinions, right? And they, they couldn't take care of them. So what Rome would do is they would go take other cities that they had taken into their empire and say, we're going to make this a Roman city. It's going to be a Roman colony. In fact, you 400, 500 soldiers, this is now your city. Make it Roman. And the point of a colony, right? You colonize it. They're going to take Roman art and Roman philosophy and Roman literature and Roman religion and Roman culture and Roman entertainment. And they're going to take it to Philippi and colonize Philippi will start to look like Rome. Perhaps this is what Paul is getting at when he says that the Christians, their citizenship is in heaven. It's not that like the the Roman colony, they're going to go to heaven. The last thing Rome wanted was for these Philippians to come back. right? They wanted them to take Rome there and be there. Perhaps that's what Paul's getting at. This is something we hit on a lot at First Colony, um, this idea of the kingdom of God. right? The kingdom of God is about heaven coming to earth. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? (laughs) On earth as it is in heaven. We've kind of flipped the story a little bit. We've kind of flipped the story and made it about us leaving earth and going to heaven when maybe the story was really about heaven coming to earth, okay? God's reality invading our reality and our world being transformed. Uh, I was listening to a pastor preach earlier this week, and I'm going to rip this from him. He said, a guy named Jonathan Martin, he said, perhaps the better question is not, Are you ready to go to heaven when you die, but are you ready for heaven to come here? Are you the kind of person with the kind of faith and the kind of hope and the kind of love to thrive when God's reign and rule shows up in front of us? When this world is transformed to reflect God's desires, God's wills as well. So we're citizens in heaven, okay? But, but perhaps it doesn't mean we're headed to heaven. In fact, what does he say? We're waiting a Savior from heaven, right? The, the goal is the direction. We've messed up the direction. We're not going to heaven. A Savior is coming from heaven to help us with this project, to help us colonize earth. You and I are meant to bring all the thinking and love and faith of heaven to earth around us, just like a, a Roman colony, would have operated, okay? And, and then watch what he says here. This is where we're going to really dig in this morning. Verse 21. When our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes from heaven to earth, he will transform our lowly body. So if you've got a pin, if you're, if you're walking with this, this would be an underlined verse here. Who he would transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, Transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, what Paul just said here, right, is, is, is kind of what we're getting at this morning. What happened to Jesus is going to be what happens to his people. We have lowly bodies, Jesus has a glorious body, a resurrected body, and when he comes back, we're going to receive that glorious body. So, here's the question What was Jesus' glorious body like? And what kind of body did he have when he was resurrected? This calls for a very close reading of the last, uh, of the last sections of the Gospels that we have in our, our New Testament. Question, was Jesus' body physical? The answer is yes. People could touch him. In fact, the Gospels, in their own way, go out of their way to make this point. That Jesus was still a human being. He still had a body. You could touch him. Okay? He wasn't a ghost. He's not a spirit. So, ghosts, right, they don't have matter to resist against other matter. If you dropped a pin, it just goes through their hand to the ground, right? This is Ghost 101, all right? We're getting good stuff in this morning. Ghosts can't eat either. Jesus eats after he's resurrected. Again, it just doesn't, the food just goes down, okay? It doesn't work. It can't digest. Ghosts don't have digestion systems. Jesus had a body, though. He didn't transform into a spirit, he didn't rid. His body, his soul didn't get rid of his body. He was transformed into a physical body. But if you, if you watch the Gospels carefully, it was a different kind of body than anyone had ever seen. And the Gospel writers seemed to run up on the limits of language in describing it. So you could touch Jesus' body, right? It was a physical body, but it seemed, in a sense, more than physical. Because if you, again, if you read closely, at one point, Jesus walks through a door. He doesn't open it. He doesn't go around it. He walks through it. So our, physical, our, our physicality, right, would stop a pin, right? And it's stuck that way. I'll never be able to pass something through my hand, okay? It's always going to be resistance there. Jesus seems to have, on his desire, on his whim, though, been able to change that, where he was physical but could just pass through things, pass through a wall. Jesus, for the most part, when he's resurrected, is very recognizable. People know who he is. He has scars, he has his old wounds, okay? He looks like the same general guy that we knew a few days ago. But on on occasion, Jesus can disguise himself. Seems like he has more control over his physical nature than maybe we do. Jesus could also, while he was still localized in a body, he could also appear and disappear when he wanted to. So he could travel places without walking there. Does that make sense? It was a human body, a physical body, but, and the word Christians use for this, it was a glorified body. It was a transformed body. C.S. Lewis would say it was more physical than our physical bodies. It was more real. It was more substantial. Jesus is on like a different dimension, right? Jesus in 3D, 4D. Jesus has passed through into these new dimensions with new capabilities, new ways of manipulating his physicality, but it's still a body. It's still a physical body. Jesus physically rises from the grave. And Paul says, this is what's going to happen to you and I. Again, notice, this is a far cry. A far cry from an idea of our souls floating off into heaven. This is not Paul's hope here in Philippians 3. His hope is that when Jesus returns, what happened to him will happen to me. So, Mr. Mike Skinner can't walk through walls right now. But one day, watch out. <laughs> glorified body, transformed body. When we see Jesus rise from the dead, we're seeing the script for our futures. Now again, I don't want to, I don't want to, to downplay all the good things that have come from the idea of your soul going to heaven and and from that kind of, way of describing the gospel and and I know for a lot of us that's where we found Christ and that's where we um, really kind of grew up in Christ, okay? But there's a time for leaving elementary teachings, right, and coming to mature teachings. In fact in Hebrews, this is one of the things the author of Hebrews, the resurrection of the dead, lists as list as an elementary teaching of the faith. And when I read that I go, oh, I think the church has kind of walked away from that a little bit. For for the author of Hebrews, this is this is the basics, this is 101. What I've found in my experience is this is now something that, that we really have to work at to understand because we're, we're so at home in this idea that spiritual and physical are separate and salvation is our spirits leaving, our bodies leaving the earth and going to live in heaven for eternity in this spiritual disembodied existence. Perhaps, though, that's not what the biblical narrative, the biblical hope, the biblical story is. If you watch closely, this idea runs very consistently throughout the scriptures, okay? All the way back from Genesis 1. So in Genesis, God <clears throat> creates everything, alright? He creates dirt, and he creates trees, and he creates people with nails, and teeth, and saliva, and hair, and after all of that, he says what? It is very good. And the sense that you kind of get reading Genesis, is God's pretty proud of himself. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> that was a good idea. <laughs> Jesus, spirit, high five, here we go. Look what we did here. It was very, very good. It's not a mistake. God doesn't look at human beings and go, oh no, their soul's trapped in their body. <laughs> right? And this is going to seem silly to you, but people will actually do this. God doesn't create souls, turn around, and then the devil puts them in, physical, in the physical world. Again, people have walked these paths, having a hard time understanding how the physical nature is so affirmed In the scriptures, God creates its its good. Now, death comes in to the world because of our sin. And throughout the scriptures, death is seen as like the the biggest, baddest enemy to what God has done. Remember, think, God has created stuff, and death, what destroys that stuff? Death is like the anti-creation. Death is like anti-God in a sense. God brings life, he creates, and death takes it away. It decays it, it corrupts it, it gets rid of it. And from day one, God has been committed to defeating death, to transforming and redeeming his creation. But you've got to watch carefully, not to just redefining it or looking at it from a different angle. So again, I struggle because I've been at at the funerals, I've been in the sermons, I've been in the the situations where Christians are talking about death and they talk about death like a friend or like it's nothing, right? Right? It just, it's our shit to heaven to be with God. It's a good thing. We get out of our bodies. That's not a biblical way of talking. A biblical way of talking is this is an enemy. This is a bad thing. This is something God does not desire. He didn't want it, and he's not going to keep it. And now it's a defeated enemy, so there's, there's hope there, right? But it's never something to shake hands with. It's something to be defeated in the scriptures. And what happens when we say that our, our hope, that the eternal hope for Christians is for our souls to go to heaven is you really just let death continue. Death still reigns. Watch, that's not a defeat of death. That's just looking at death from a different angle. Does that make sense to you? I mean, you're just looking at what happened. You're dying, and then you're saying God came up with a plan B, or plan C. Okay, well, yeah, death did that, so I'll take their souls. But that's not how the God of the Bible operates, if you're familiar with them. He doesn't lose, and he doesn't give up. He says, death came into my world. It's decaying and destroying things. I'm going to undo that. That will not be allowed to happen in my creation. And so, the biblical consensus on this idea of the resurrection of the dead, that God's people would be physically bodily raised, that death itself would be overturned, undone, it would work backwards, is so consistent throughout the scriptures that I had 38 passages written out I was going to read them to you this morning. But I'm not. This is the, if I'm counting, third thing, you can thank me for Okay, but it's very consistent throughout here. Daniel 12, Okay, um, there will be a resurrection, some to life, some to shame. Isaiah 26, Ezekiel 37, even in Psalm 16, a little bit. There's these glimmers in the Old Testament. You should know, Old Testament doesn't talk a whole lot about afterlife, but the resurrection is still there. The Jewish people who read the Old Testament have a firm belief in the resurrection of the dead. They think this is what's going to happen. God's going to come back and raise his people to new and bodily life. When you get to the Gospels, you see Jesus assuming a belief in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, be careful here. If you don't like my message, you go away saying, I don't believe that. I don't buy it. Okay, that guy's an idiot. Just be careful because Jesus will argue against people who don't believe in the resurrection. You have multiple stories in the Gospels where Jesus is arguing with these people called Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection, they think the whole idea is kind of silly. We'll talk about that a little bit. And Jesus goes back against them and says, look, you don't know the power of God and you don't know the scriptures. God will raise his people. In fact, we're just going to flip a couple places. Go to John 5, though. I have discovered through years and years of schooling that it's always a good idea to see what Jesus thinks. He's kind of an important figure. Took me a while to figure it out, okay? But if you wanna you want to know what's going on somewhere, it's always good if you can see Jesus talking about it, teaching about it, okay? So John chapter 5, we're gonna read verse 25 through 29. This is Jesus um, talking, teaching. John 5, chapter or verse 25 through 29. Get ready for this. This if you if you're not familiar with this, this is uncomfortable to you, this is gonna surprise you. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Verse 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Verse 28. Here we go. Here's the, here's the shot. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, again, if you're not familiar with this, right, if, if you've just kind of listened to the classic contemporary Christian sermons for a while, this sounds very sci-fi to you. People are in tombs. The son of God's going to call out in a voice and then these tombs are going to start to open up and dead people will start to rise. Again, some to life and some to judgment will be sorted out. Those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam. It's a very consistent theme throughout the scriptures. Flip to the last, uh, Romans 8. This is the last place we'll flip until we flip to the place where we'll end. Romans chapter 8. This is also a pretty key passage. Uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 9. Romans 8 verse 9. Paul says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here we go, verse 11. Here it is. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your what? Mortal bodies. bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. The same thing that's happening on Easter Sunday. When the father through his spirit raises Jesus from the dead. Paul says will happen to his people. We'll be in the tomb. The spirit will work. We'll be alive again. Our mortal bodies will receive life. Just like Christ's mortal body received life. Um, you could go to verse 18. Very famous passage. I consider the suffering to this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We'll talk about this next week, okay? Creation, how creation itself is affected by the resurrection. It'll be uh, worth your time, I think. We'll maybe talk about your uh, little pet puppy that you've always wondered if you'll see again. (laughs) Got theories. Okay, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption... And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Not as we wait for our souls to fly like a dove out of prison bars right to heaven, but while we wait for our bodies to have happened to us what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday. And this is such a consistent theme throughout the scriptures. I mean, it's so, it's such a coherent theme throughout the scriptures. So in Revelation, if you were to turn to the last few chapters of Revelation, 19 to 22, you'll see the same thing. Everybody's resurrected, some to life, some to judgment. The early Christians spoke with one voice on this issue. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the two most widely affirmed creeds in the Christian faith. Both say, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead, for the life to come. So the last place I want to camp out with you, okay? 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I promise you we'll end here. We'll camp out here. So here's what we're saying this morning, okay? The resurrection matters. Because what you see happening on Easter Sunday is what, what you're going to see happen to, to you and I. Verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead... The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this word first fruits is interesting. I'm not a farmer or the son of a farmer, okay, so I had to look this one up. But I'm told that the first fruits, so if you have like a crop, like a field, the first fruits to rise, right, often tell you what the rest of it will be like, what kind of yield, what kind of crop you'll get that season. So if you've got this like beautiful stalk of corn, and that's how farmers talk, I'm pretty sure, okay. This beautiful stock of corn, you can be assured you're going to rake it in with the corn this season, right? But if it comes up, it's all deformed looking, okay? It looks like some bugs have been on it, some eating it, right? You're, you know, the water wasn't good this, this season. That's all I know that goes into farming, okay? <laughs> Other things didn't work as well, but the crop the, the, the is not going to be good. <laughs> That's right seed and water done sun's in there somewhere okay um but the first fruits how interesting that paul says jesus his resurrection is the first fruits of what will happen to us this is our example this is our prototype we know what will happen to us it's not this vague hope it's not this whistling in the dark it's a we've seen what happened to our messiah and we're in him and his spirit is in us the same thing will happen to us First fruits. You'll also see Paul in Colossians 1 calling Jesus, this is interesting, the firstborn of the dead. Firstfruits, firstborn. Who's, who's left? It's us. He has gone ahead of us in experiencing the resurrection and his body being transformed, coming out of death onto the other side. I mean, that's an interesting thing. You've got to grasp that. When we say Jesus has passed out of death, when he has gone through death, we're not just talking about a temporal thing. So, just that Jesus is alive on the other side of time, death's happened already. It's like an ontological thing, the big word we say, okay? Jesus is no longer bound by the claim of death and sin and corruption and sickness. He can't be injured, he can't hurt, his body doesn't decay, he will not die. He's actually gone through death. And that's what's going to happen to you and I. That's why we say Jesus is still alive, right? Jesus is not resurrected to then get sick again and get cancer and die. No, we come and worship because he's still alive. He's still risen. He's still with us. So he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man, verse 21, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then has coming those who belong to him. Again, I think it's just this consistent theme Throughout the scriptures Now it raises a lot of interesting questions Okay, particularly for those of us Who aren't very familiar with this kind of idea All these, all these really interesting questions For one, if that's true What happens when you die Before the resurrection? Because the resurrection is like a historical event I mean, it's going to happen in space and time It has not happened yet All those who have died Previous to us, right, in this moment Have not been resurrected. They don't have these glorified bodies. Where where are they? What's happening to them? Well, there are different theories and ideas, right? But this is where you'd probably get the classic Christian language. They went to heaven. And it throws us off. Paul talks about um, if he is going to die, he'll depart and go be with Christ. He seems to think immediately if he dies, he'll be in Christ's presence. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, away from the body at home with the Lord. And heaven. But the key thing here, the key thing you can't miss out on, is that it's not the end of the story. It's not the full hope for Christians. As one scholar says, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. Right? It's the resurrection. They're waiting. There's this Jewish belief in what, what's called paradise. You'll see Jesus use this term on the cross. There's a Jewish doctrine where the saints go rest and experience peace before the resurrection. Or also there's a parable in Luke, the rich man, Lazarus, and the poor man, Lazarus, goes to Abraham's bosom. And again, you hear in sermons this equated with heaven. It's not heaven. It's this resting place. It's heaven as a a paradise. Abraham's bosom is where the saints went with their father. And they rested in peace until they were resurrected. Um, One scholar puts it like this, and I thought this was just a great analogy. In a sense, what happens is God downloads your software on his hardware until you have new hardware, and then he puts your software back on it, right? Your soul and your body are meant to be together. I mean, the scriptures have a hard time imagining your soul and your body being separate. I mean, they're one and the same. They're, they're made for each other. So what happens when you don't have your body for a while? Well, God kind of takes care of you, right? But a full, robust existence in God's world is with a body, so he, he takes your software, and then your hardware will be remade, and he'll download your software back on your hardware. That's kind of a, a good analogy, I think, to thinking about it. Okay? Other questions? I mean, there's just so many questions that arise here. Um, what age will be resurrected as? Right? I mean, if we're going to be resurrected in bodies, what, what body? I've had lots of different forms of body right, throughout my life. I would prefer some over the others. I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of any of them. Uh, if we could go for like a, a new option, that would be great. I'll trade in. Great. Um, so different scholars have said different things during the years. I mean, there's just kind of some interesting things that come about. Uh, St. Augustine, if you're familiar with him, he said that you'd be resurrected at 30 years old. Uh, and, and I have to imagine that he thought he was just the stuff when he was 30. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's like, look at me. That has to be it. That has to be the age. I had it going on when I was 30 years old, right? Again, now for all these interesting questions, the one guiding principle we have is Jesus. He's the first group. He's the example. He's the prototype. Now, I don't happen to think that 33 or however old Jesus was when he died is the human age. That's the, the pinnacle of humanity, right? I would, I would think you're resurrected at the age that you died at. Which, again, is different for us to think about, right? A kid who dies, they're resurrected as a kid or an, or an old person who dies, they resurrected as an old person. Again, I think, don't think of afterlife in heaven terms. Why does our future, our eternal hope, have to be static or timeless? Why can't a child who's resurrected continue to grow? Why can't even a 90-year-old who's resurrected continue to grow? We've only experienced age in a world of sin and death, where it means corruption and decay. But what if you could age in a way without corruption and decay and death? I mean, some interesting things to kind of toy around with, right? Right. We're resurrected there, there have always been these kind of weird questions And the answer probably is always Look at Jesus, see what you can figure out And then remember his statement You don't know the power of God right? We believe it, it's going to happen um, Some of the early Christians There was this church that had this big de- debacle Over this question Say a cannibal eats a Christian And then the cannibal becomes a Christian Who gets the parts? <laughs> And they they had this big debate over this, right? They're trying to work out what's going on. Again, I think Jesus would say to them, you don't know the power of God, okay? It's going to happen. It's going to work out. Don't worry about it, okay? He'll figure out which parts of the matter go where. Um, The Sadducees will come up with these really weird, silly situations to Jesus to try to disprove the resurrection. If you remember this in Matthew, the Sadducees come up to Jesus and go, say a woman was married to seven brothers. Not all at the same time, okay? But if a brother dies... Right It would be your response to be in the first injury to marry his wife, to take care of her. Well, think about the resurrection. They said, "Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? So we're resurrected. The trumpet goes, "We're out of the tombs. "Hey, baby, what's up? I missed you. Good to see you. What are you talking to? That's my wife. No, I'm sorry. you died. That's my wife. No, that's my wife, and my <laughs> wife and my wife and my wife. My wife. It's an awkward first reunion, okay? (laughs) The Sadducees had all these different situations that they came up with that said, this is just a silly idea. And again, Jesus' response, you don't know the power of God, and you don't know the scriptures. But what happened to him will happen to us through resurrection. Um, So there are all these these different questions. And, And yes, there are some texts, there are some verses in the Bible that make it seem... Like, it's not all about the resurrection of the dead, okay? Um, we don't have time, because I'm already out of time. We don't have time to run through all those. I would say this when you come across a text that makes it seem otherwise, it, it seems spiritual, your soul going to heaven, just remember the overarching biblical narrative. You've got such strong evidence, such comprehensive evidence at all times in the biblical narrative pointing toward resurrection, and you have Jesus' resurrection. And so those texts can be explained, okay? I'd be happy to do so if you want to talk personally. I just don't have time to do that this morning, okay? So, so what? What's the difference? What difference is there between believing in the resurrection and believing in your soul going to heaven? How does it really matter in your life? I think it does matter a great deal. I think the resurrection is not a peripheral Christian belief. Um, It's a central Christian belief. Without it, everything falls apart. It's not like a, a, a... Motorized window on the car, right? It's the engine itself. You can take or leave the, the window, but you have to have the engine for things to work. I think that's how the resurrection is. I think it's such a core belief of Christian um, faith and practice because it's so linked up and central with Jesus' resurrection. So I'm going to give you four things, okay? Four reasons why the resurrection of the dead matters, why this affects us in our daily lives. Number one, and this might be interesting to you, you might not have thought of it this way, how we treat dead bodies, In the early church, one of the ways that the resurrection of the dead had a practical application was in what do we do when people we know die? How do we take care of their bodies? Um, So, Augustine, St. Augustine, the same saint, said this. He said, the care for the bodies of our dead is an affirmation of our firm belief in the resurrection. Now, what the the Christians would do, and most Christians still do, is they bury their dead. Okay, They take care of their bodies. They don't destroy them. They, They take care of them. They make them nice. They bury them facing the east. Why the East? The belief is Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. And where's the voice going to come from that rises us from the dead? From the East. We want to be ready. You don't want the extra step turning around. Okay? You just want to be ready to come out and be there for Christ. All right? Now, a practice has come into our culture from Eastern religions called cremation. Okay? It was unknown to the world, the Western world, really about 100 years ago. It was very, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Now, please hear me carefully. I am not saying that God cannot resurrect someone who's been cremated. That's silly, right? You don't know the power of God. You can't play those kind of games. And I'm not saying, although there would be some Christian groups who say this, I'm not saying that cremation is heretical or is an anti-Christian thing. I am saying watch how cremation reflects what we believe about the afterlife and shapes it subtly. If we don't believe our bodies will matter in the future, right, we can do what we wish with them now. I mean, we can just destroy them. We can get rid of them. But if we really have this firm hope in the resurrection, a Christian witness to that throughout the years has been burial. And burial facing the east. How we treat our dead. Uh, as, as one author put it, our bodies aren't ornaments, according to Christians. You can't just do with it what you'd like. The body is central. Um, so point number one, how you treat your dead point number two um, the importance of your bodies so Christians are just now getting around to this idea that your body is important it 's not just some kind of abstract soul inside of you that's important how you treat your body is important think about the fact that in the scriptures gluttony is a big deal sin I mean, it 's a big deal sin this is one of the things I don't know if you've ever seen people out there like protesting right there's a the West Baptist group out there, there's a guy up there you know, talking about how much God hates gay people and wants them to burn in hell, those kind of things. And then there's a picture that snapped of someone else up beside him. He's a very large man with another sign that said gluttony. He's one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> right? We often in the Western world, because we don't think our bodies very matter very much, right? We pick on other sins, and we've, we've missed out on the, how important the body is in the scriptures. How, what you eat, how you exercise, how you take care of your body. Just by virtue of where we live, we probably all have failed a little bit on this. I know I have. And we're also realizing that what happens to your body happens to you, which would seem like maybe common sense, but it took us a long time philosophically to realize this. I mean, one of the big discoveries in science recently is that you think in your brain. <laughs> Again, real, it seems common sense, but when you think, it's a physical act. I mean, it, you can actually watch it happen in your brain. It's a, it's a, you, your soul, who you are, is one with your body. There's not this separate thing happening here. And surely we've experienced this, right? If you are, because of your diet or because of your exercise regimen, if you are feeling grumpy and tired uh, and, and just worn down, do you think you're going to be able to worship Christ the way you're supposed to? Do you think you're going to be able to serve in his kingdom the way you're supposed to? No, because that's going to weigh you down. That's going to hurt your ability to be all that Christ has called you to be. It might seem like a common sense point, but your bodies matter. How we treat our bodies matter. How we treat other people's bodies, it matters. Um, Matter matters to God. It's a big deal. Uh, Our bodies aren't just ornaments. Now, number three, our present life matters. So it's not a long step from saying, really, the only thing important about this life is making sure our souls go to heaven, to saying Nothing else really matters that much. I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this. When I was a little kid, okay, I used to think about the idea that when Jesus comes back, okay, I wasn't thinking of resurrection, I was thinking of heaven. When Jesus comes back, we'll go to heaven. And I always felt really guilty, really guilty, because I didn't want Jesus to come back. At least not soon. Because there were a lot of things I wanted to do, I wanted to get married. I mean, back in this time, I wanted to play my first NBA All-Star game, okay? I mean, there were a lot of experiences that I wanted, and I felt so bad about this, where I go, look, you can come back, but give us like 35 years. There's some stuff I want to do around here before I'm on a cloud playing with harps and those kind of a thing, that that kind of thing. Think about martyrs, people who, who die for their faith. I don't think a hope of heaven after you die can produce someone who's willing to die for their faith. Here's why. If your soul is going to heaven after you die, can you get that? Can you accomplish that without dying for your faith? The answer is yes. Right? You believe, you say the prayer, you go to church every Sunday, those kind of things. So why then would you die for your faith? You don't need it to go to heaven after you die. I would much rather with my life enjoy good food enjoy the people around me, have a comfortable life, have nice clothing, have a nice house, have a nice AC, those kind of things. Why would I ever, if the two options are go to heaven, go to heaven, die for your faith, go to heaven, or live a comfortable life to your 80 and go to heaven? Why would I ever choose the martyr option? I wouldn't. I mean, I would never, I would never go there. I would say I have one life here on this earth and I'm going to try to I'm still going to follow Christ, still going to obey him, still going to love him, but I'm going to get as much pleasure out of it as I can. Why would you ever choose to live in poverty? I can go to heaven after I die with a comfortable amount of money, or I can go to heaven after I die in poverty. Which one will I choose? The comfortable route, the nice route. But someone who believes in resurrection, watch this, how it works. They think they're going to get it back. They don't think at any point they're going to miss out on anything on the the earth, on anything on the world. There's no pleasure that's going to be withheld from them. And historically, resurrection has been fighting language. It's been the characteristic belief of people who are willing to stand up to the powers to be and tell them what they think about them. So in the first century, you had the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were the elite group. They were the power (laughs) ruling group. They were buddies with the Romans. Then you had the Pharisees who, again, gave the Romans a piece of their mind. And said, "Kill us. That's fine. We're going to get our bodies back, and you will be destroyed. You will be damned. You will be judged." There's this real famous story in Second Maccabees seven, of a woman and her seven sons being tortured by an evil king, Antiochus Epiphanes, um, and he, the, the boys as they're being tortured, mock the king with the idea of the resurrection. He's cutting off their arms, and they go, "Take my arm. I'm going to get it back." And he cuts off the tongue and the mom says, you'll get the tongue back. Don't worry about it. And they willingly die saying, I will not break God's (coughs) laws. They willingly die. They lose their bodies because they know they're getting it back. They're not missing out on anything. There's no reason for them to hold back. Resurrection is fighting language. It's a fighting belief. It's people who are willing to stand up and say, this is what God desires. This is how things should operate. Do what you will with me. Death does not have the final word. It no longer has any claim on how I live my life. I'm not worried about dying early. I'm not worried about missing out on anything. I'll come back to life. It doesn't give you an escapist or quietist religion. It gives you a bold, courageous, obnoxious religion. (laughs) Where you go to the powers that be who have the threat of death over your life. And you say, do what you want with me. But here's what I'm telling you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm not worried about it. Our present lives matter. Resurrection gives us the fuel to act like that. To really not be concerned at all. That we're going to miss out on anything. The last point. Number four. You and I need hope. If you've never experienced the weight of death. On your life. In the past. Right now. I can tell you. You're, you will probably one day. It's coming for you. I mean, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna press in on you. And what God has given us to endure that weight is this belief in death's destruction, the defeat of death, not a redefinition of death or a different angle of death, but its absolute, utter defeat. I mean, think about, I mean, it's just it's been a crazy week for Americans. The Boston. Boston bombing, a whole bunch of other stuff happening. If you really think about it, it's just a small experience of what the whole world experiences on a more regular basis than we do. And I'm thinking about how could a Christian possibly say that there's good news when that stuff is happening? I mean, how could someone involved in that, who lost a leg, go to church and worship? How could they have family in church right now? I don't think the promise that they'll go to heaven after they die is all that good of news. It says nothing about what death has already done to them. It just says, well, we'll make it out on the other side. But until then, we're death's play toy. But a biblical hope would come and say, hey, that will be taken care of. That will be overturned that act of violence and destruction will be undone. God will raise life where there was no life. Resurrection allows Christians in a world of darkness, not to say let's strap on our seatbelts and hope we get on the other side, but to say there is life. We're not going to avoid death or get a plan B to death. We're actually going to experience victory over death itself. And that creates worship and that creates hope and that will help us endure those times when death weighs in on us, when suffering and pain weighs in on us. And again, and and this is so vital, our hope, our eternal future hope is not again, just whistling in the dark. It's not this vague amorphous hope. It's a hope of people who have seen a man raised from the dead, who they called King and who they believe are, they're in, we're in him, we're in Christ. What happened to him will happen to us. And his spirit is in us. It's the hope of people who know the Risen One, who come every week to celebrate His resurrection. It's the hope of those people who say, what happened to Him will happen to me. When I see Him rise from the dead on Easter Sunday, I'm seeing my future. I'm seeing my script. I'm seeing my fate. And the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and our resurrection, it matters. It matters. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the uh, time you've given us this morning. I pray that you would um, just be with us. I pray that you would uh, continue to speak into our hearts, into our lives. I pray that you would form us and shape us into the kind of people who live grave-defying lives, who live lives not determined in any sense um, by the threat of death, um, by the prospect of suffering and pain. Because we know a God who's defeated death. We know a God who's looked it in the face and said, No more. And we, we, in hope, wait um, for our experience of that. We know that we're in Christ. His Spirit is in us. And the same Spirit who raised Him will raise us. Father, we pray that you would send us out powerfully and boldly and courageously into your world to bring heaven to earth, to colonize without any fear of what may happen to us, without any fear of what we might miss out on. So we are yours and you are ours. We love you and all of God's people this morning Instead.